Uh, our scripture reading for today is from Psalm 139. If you want to turn there, you can follow along. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not load those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the, ever, in the way everlasting. The word of the Lord. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. As we continue in our sermon series on God Blank America, we have been in a civil rights uh, um, kind of deal, and this is part three and the final on age. And like we've seen with ethnicity and gender, age has and is a place of discrimination in our workplaces, our marketplaces, our communities, cities, and yes, even our churches. In 1967, an Anti-Discrimination and Employment Act was passed to prohibit and ban discrimination in hiring, promotions, wages, benefits, retirement, and tenure, or termination of employment and layoffs. It was followed in 1975 by the Age Discrimination Act, which prohibits discrimination on the basis of age and programs and activities receiving federal financial assistance. For those civil rights and enforcement, we can say, God bless America. But ageism continues to be a battle. A battle in the workplace, churches and communities in our country, a struggle between the generations for worth and dignity. Ageism 
Thank you, Wikipedia. Ageism. Also called age discrimination is stereotyping of and discrimination against individuals or groups because of their age. It is a set of beliefs and attitudes, norms and values used to justify age-based prejudice, discrimination, and subordination. This may be casual or systematic. It is discrimination against seniors and patterned on sexism and racism. Ageism can be a combination of three elements. Among them were prejudicial attitudes toward older people, old age, and the aging process. Discriminatory practices against older people and institutional practices and policies that perpetuate stereotypes about older people. The term has also been used to describe prejudice and discrimination against adolescents and children, including ignoring their ideas because they are too young or assuming that they should behave in certain ways because of their age. And let me add one. Because they are not born yet. For these civil rights protection for age, God bless America, for the lack of protections and continuing problem of ageism and lack of civil righteousness, that's a hard motivation to promote and value the life of our different generations, God curse America. It is clear to most of us that murder is wrong, which is hatred or disdain or lack of valuing another human being to the place of bloodshed and death. But Jesus came along and he stretched that definition of murder and said that if you hate or mistreat your neighbor like their life is unimportant or less important than yours to God, in this case because of their age or generation, it is then too that we murder. And if we look at what the psalm says here in verse 19 through 22, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Matching hate, righteous hate for murderous hate. We know that God hates that. Hates when we take advantage of or ignore or put out to pasture or devalue due to someone's age. And yet, we continue and will continue to struggle with whether infants unborn Youth, tweeners, boomers, busters, extras, wires, millennials are a problem, a drag, an issue, holding up or rushing our development as a people or should get most of our attention. We, we are figuring out which generation should we blame most for our problems. It's our parents. They mess us up. Or, or our lack of progress morally or socially or, or some of you artistically or financially, economically. We can go on techno technologically and spiritually. Who is really slowing down traffic and causing wrecks? Is it the old people in those big cars? Or the young people on those technological cars on the phone or, or sending text messages? Or is it the mother trying to deal with the bratty kid in the backseat of the minivan? If we keep it real, are we really better with or without your generation? And who should come and go and be fired 
and hired and given retirement and not and Social Security and on and on and on. The Bible here gives us some guidance for the ages and for the generations and for our struggle with ageism in this country. And it tells us this, that all of our days and years are God-given. That all of our years and days are God-valued and all of our years and days are God-redeemed. Verse 16 says this, Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book, were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And it mentions the book here, right? The book is a reference to the book of life, of, of everybody's life, of, of your life, of, of the book of living. God has before you uh, came, be, God has before you came to be because he's God given all the days and all the years for you to live. God himself is in charge of bringing you here and keeping you here and ushering you out when it's time to go. And it all began before we were actually born. Look with me at verse 13. For you form my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. The scripture here is very biological. As I discovered when I was looking at some of the Hebrew words here, inmost parts literally means kidneys, entrails, guts. And then when it says knit together, the writer is, there's a word there called hedge or, or covering. The writer is saying the covering of something, as in the skin. And then in verse 15, when it says frame, frame means bones, the, the bones that hold the skin on and the guts in. And then verse 15 says it was, it was intricately woven. That, that word actually means to variegate. He puts the different types of tissues and puts the colors of all things in place. It can mean organ formation, which means God is directly responsible for making our inside and outside the guts and, and, and the bones and the skin it all hangs on and it says this I am fearfully and wonderfully made that word wonder, wonderfully means separate, unique distinguished from the, from the mother whose womb the baby is growing in the growing baby is not part of the mother or just an outbreak of another organ in other words in the womb there is personhood that we became an individual human in the womb at the process of being made and God's building the inside and what makes it hard for us to grasp this truth and I want to be careful here apart from the terrible condemnation and guilt and pain that we also must deal with encounter with mercy and not coming to full term or, or terminating a pregnancy. Those things make it hard. But this all happens, as verse 15 says, in secret. 
the depths of the earth. It means we can't touch it. It means we are not responsible for it. It means that even with all of our technology to look into the womb and watch each stage of development of a person in the womb, it is still a mystery of how that undistinguishable tissue is a person. In fact, verse 16 says that his eyes saw the unborn's unformed substance. That word unformed substance actually means fetus which according to this psalm is a stage of personhood. The fetal stage of personhood. A human who is developing. The writer says, my unformed substance. That unformed substance you saw, Lord, as me made and being made for you. That is when my days began. That means that your days begin when God sees you or recognizes you, an unformed substance yet to be woven and knitted and given all your guts and bones so the unborn are and were never an unformed human being. Just an unformed body. A person whose body has not been completely formed yet. I spent more time on the coming of us in the womb, because if your days counted to God in the womb, has unformed. The psalmist is saying, there is no shadow of doubt. All the days and ages I live outside the womb were and are given to me by God. That the child age and the youth age and the young people age and the middle age and and the old age, each day, each year, each breath, each development, each day, each year, God has given to me. And the point here is no day or year you or anyone ever lives from the womb to the grave was and is a mistake, a mishap, a freak of nature, even days filled with pain and suffering and dependence and uncertainty. And as he says in verse 11, with darkness, when you can't figure out things or or see things for yourself because you are aged out or, or too young, are days given by God. So whether you're connected to an umbilical cord or an oxygen cord, whether due to your age you are wiping butts or having yours wiped by someone else, this and those and every day were given by God alone. No day lived from the womb to the grave is simply a biological anomaly or on the other side, a biological regularity. You are and have been here as long as you are because God gave and gives and will give it to you and you are fearfully and wonderfully made each and every day and age and year you live. And thus each day and every age of life is God valued. First of all, recognize this is a psalm. It's a song. It's a celebration. Something to be sung in church or in personal devotion. This is a celebration of conception, of birth, of, uh, and life all the way to death. This is like the Bible's version of the happy birthday song. In fact, try doing this at birthday parties. Read this thing. Be having church up at that birthday place. Monkey Joes, they wouldn't know what hit them. We'd be doing communion with the pizza. If the session says so. Sorry, I got to be, you know, orthodox. I'm Presbyterian. Don't y'all try that. 
Look at what he says here in verse 14 and then 17. I praise you. I celebrate. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Then he goes to what we talked about. Then he says, verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And what are the thoughts of God? Look at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. There should be an honor and celebration of who I am, he's saying. And when I am. Where I am age-wise, where everyone else is age-wise. Why? Because you are here. Because of the Lord. Lord, you did this. Let me make clear and let me make a clear understanding of what valuing people regardless of age is all about. So many times in our society and world, people are celebrated and lauded and loved and love themselves based on their usefulness to others. If you can't drive no more, what good are you? Can't cook no more, can't clean, they can't do something. What good are you? This Bible is saying that you are valued not because of your contribution or usefulness, but because of what God has contributed in doing and bringing and keeping you here to this age from one place to another, one year to another, one day to another. So it is natural to be excited about birthdays of kids, right? Because we kind of are still in awe that they were born and developing. And on the other hand, for the old, right? It's like, wow, you've made it this far. Wow. And, and for those like me in the middle of the celebration of crossing over to the other side, to having made it to youth and entering a stage of almost humorous discovery, because I don't think I'm getting old, but you who have already made it through know I am. But none of that celebration is about anything anyone has earned. Let me make that say that again. But none of that celebration, no birthday celebration, is about anything anyone has earned. It is something more profound than that. It is just because today you are here again. Thanks be to God for you just being for you just being again and for the first time or possibly the last time. Praise be to God. The writer of the psalm is saying this about himself. How precious, verse 17, are your thoughts, O God. How, how vast is some of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Lord, you thinking about me? You thinking about this day? My age? This year? Oh, my Lord. How many seconds is the Lord thinking about you? People. We are literally, this is going to sound weird, called not to celebrate just that person, but the life and day of that person. Let me send your mind racing for a minute. Every thought that a person makes is important to God. Every second, minute, hour, day, age, and generation of a person's life. That means every moment, age, or time in everyone's life is celebrated or worth celebrating before the Lord and because of the Lord. Could you imagine going down the street and thinking about that? Hey, man, you here. Praise the Lord. And you pass by him. You here two more seconds. Praise the Lord. Kind of silly. 
Now, don't go that way. You'll be psycho. This is not what the psalm is asking you to do. Then we'd have to commit you. I can be a real jerk and Scrooge about birthdays. That's me. Kelly believes in doing it. I was so Scrooge this year, I told her to cancel all kind of get-together, the get-together we talked about. I was not feeling great about myself or her at the moment. And she was not my greatest fan either at the time. And looking back, I wasn't my greatest, I'm not the greatest fan of me either. But this woman ignored me and her personal feelings and did it anyway. Welcome to your birthday, Howard. Grumpy man. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There is no earning value. I sure didn't for my birthday celebration. So earning value that God has given, and there is no reason to not celebrate it because there's never any situation in which you could not celebrate God's doing. I was in Pizza Peel. Y'all need to know how my process of sermon writing. I cross over to the other side. I actually live on the dark side for a while. I actually think about the most evil way you could approach the subject. Giorgio knows this. I talk about, him every, talk about it every day to him when I'm working on a sermon. What if God wasn't real, Giorgio? Stuff like that. What if Jesus is still in the grave and they find his body? What if we put here about aliens? All kind of stupid stuff. Stuff that sells books and y'all buy. I was in Pizza Peel and noticed this old guy with this wheelchair thing. And I purposely let my mind go there. And thought, why should I or anyone be happy about that old man in that stroller? Sure, those little kids behind me, they are sweet and all. Goo goo gaga. I'm even laughing when they throw the pizza on the ground. And maybe that grandma who's watching them because she's taking the kids out. Good, she's doing her part. But that old man over there, he ain't going to get the 20-piece infernal rings. He has to be helped out and his mouth has to be wiped. Why is he out living and celebrating? Why we got to work so hard to get him into the pizza peel? He don't need to be at the pizza peel. He needs to stay home and eat applesauce or something. Yeah, I let my mind go there, y'all. Some of y'all do. I'm just letting it out right now. Because it is not about what he can or can do or has done for himself or others or me or you or we like to say, well, he fought for his country because he, so he has a right to be here. No, it's not about him fighting for his country or his company or how much money he left for his grandkids. And so they're going to be nice to him until he gives up the money and the inheritance. Wasn't because he was a good neighbor who cut his grass. But because he has that last name everybody recognizes in Charlotte or his church. Because if it's about that, we can just start eliminating a lot of us. Me, I'm one of the first. I'm not even from Charlotte. I'm not even important to Charlotte. I can go and nobody will recognize it. Maybe y'all, but that's about it. It's about the Lord gave him that day. That's it. That's it. That, that's the mercy and grace and, and power and, and providence of God. He is there. Praise God. Shut up. Stop thinking dumb stuff. <laughs> I remember being a part of nursing home ministry in college. My friend, my roommate Kent and I would go to see JB and Harvey. You know what we would talk about? The same thing we talked about the first day we went and saw him. I want to let you boys know, 
I got high blood pressure and sugar diabetes. And my boys, they don't care about me. They ain't doing right. And my wife, blah, blah, blah. Same thing. Next week, boys, I got high blood pressure and sugar diabetes. We know. It never stopped being important. That was his story every day. And every day was groundhog. It seemed like every day the same day. But it wasn't. It was value upon value upon value. I was the one who was privileged to be there and hear that story a million times. But there's more here. Not only should, does God should and does God call for celebration of all ages, he sustains all ages. Look at verse 5 through 12 with me. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your hand, right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be like night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. A couple points here I want to make as it, as it concerns ageism and discriminating its age. First we see that the psalmist is supported and encouraged in life regardless of when and where he finds himself. Look at verse 13 again. We see something very similar going on in verse 5. The Lord is supporting. He's literally walling human beings in to protect their guts and their lives and their, li their hearts. Verse 5, hemming them in. And then knitting and covering and then framing them in verse 15 by his hands. And then in verse 10 through 12, in darkness, God is sustaining and keeping human beings alive and supporting them. And then in verse 15, he is doing the same thing in the secret place of the womb, in the darkness of the womb. What's the point of the scripture here? There is no time in life that God, whether you're in the darkness, whether you're close to the grave, whether you're here or there, there is no point in life or life stage that God is not sustaining or supporting your life. Whether in darkness of the womb or darkness because you're blind and can't see or darkness because, you know, you're middle-aged and you don't know which way to go and you're confused, he protects and gives life to the old and young alike out of his value for them. And so we, his people, must continue what God has started. And we must support what God has given that we too should knit and frame and fix and breathe life into. And we should hem in and hold people in life to be with them in the days of light and the days of darkness. To guide them where they cannot guide themselves, whether it is a young person to someone older, an older person to someone young or someone older to infants and children. We are called to never abandon the health and well-being of anyone regardless of where they are in life to call them and keep them and hem them in. In this way, we should all take the Hippocratic Oath, right? The one the doctors take. I will prescribe regimens for the good of all my patients according to my ability and my judgment and never do harm to anyone. I will not give a lethal drug to anyone if I am asked, nor will I advise such a plan. And similarly, I will not give a woman a pessary to cause an abortion. 
what that means. So we as a country, as a community, we've got to get kind of serious as a church. The individuals must do what we can to sustain what God has given and not take what God has not. We should work for medical advances for all ages. All things shouldn't be done for middle-aged men. And then they fix the dosage back and forward based on that. I'm, I was a pastor of a church of older folk, and it was hard because they'd just be like, hey, here's some medicine. And then they take all this medicine, not really caring, all the way on the way out anyway. We had the first African-American uh, pharmacist in the state of Maryland as an elder at our church, and he talked about it. How the pharmacist would be like, oh, you know, who cares? Medicare's paying for it. Give them this. What about the doses? What about this? Hey, just take the medicine, old lady. It'll be all right. And you wonder why they're sitting down, sitting around vegged out. And whether it's Obamacare, Romney care, I will care. I know, all I know is that we simply must care. Right? For the unborn, the young, the middle, and the old. Man, I've been, you've been at Levine Children's Hospital? That thing is bad. I almost want to be a kid and hurt or something. That, that, no, I don't. That, I don't want to be tasteless. I'm sorry. I'm just saying because there's some serious illnesses going on in there. But they have done an incredible, I mean, the colors, I'm driving almost wrecking. It look like Disney World over there. It isn't. It isn't. You go in there, it isn't. Beautiful. Adoption in this church is incredible. And we're working to find ways to make it more affordable for families in this church to adopt. Look for it. It's coming. Sonia Falalan, who, took, who, who lost her mama, took care of her mother, a blessing to her care of her mom as a single mother. And I remember the way the people of Forest Park, the church I was a part of before, with an average age of 65, when I got there, I thought, man, I'm going to care for these people. No! I'm stupid because of ageism. They took a chance on me at 28 to be their pastor and follow and trust me to care for them. They would be like, pastor, whatever you tell us, what? And, and, and instill the wisdom to me and be patient with me and my impetuousness. I had no idea how to do hospital visits or sit and talk and enjoy and love on the dying or deal with the loss of children. They patiently loved me and Kelly and our boys. And I think about Gloria Cave, who's a member of this church, and she's working to stop child trafficking worldwide. It's happening. This is what we're called to do. We can't sit by and, and let it happen. Think it's happening. We must step in. But let me say this in all seriousness. Euthanasia, abortion, suicide, genocide, and ageism are not the answers to the pains and burdens of life. Because your life and age is not yours. Because you did not write the book of days. And you can't plagiarize and you cannot erase. In fact, we can't flip-flop how God has valued our lives in response to its hardships because each day is God-given and valued. We as a country, community, families, and church should look through the, to end and or ease or find ways to cope with life's pains and suffering and hardships and inconveniences due to age and not end life to deal with pain and sufferings and hardships and inconveniences. It don't work that way. And I know the abortion debate is hot. 
And I'm not going to back or support political agendas or moral right-wing usury tactics or abusive stripping of dignity for those who may have had an abortion for one reason or another. I don't think that's biblical either without mercy and grace. But I want you to know this, that of all the approximately 1.2 million abortions performed in the United States, 93% were done out of inconvenience or unwanted pregnancy. Only 6% were because of health and 1% for rape or incest. Even in the best arguments of rape, incest, or health. Give me that 93% children. Let's play the margin. We'll grade on a curve. Let's save the 93% at least. And in most of those abortions, poverty is not the main issue. 38% of those abortions were done by people who were making between thirty dollars and $60,000 a year. So I can't help but believe that many of these are about one generation's needs being put before those of another. And many of these causes, cases, ageism is at play. The fact that a baby is too young to care for itself and you are too in the prime of your life to care is ageism. Because the unborn can neither speak due to age, we can get rid of them to follow the spirit of our age. You're too young, right? You've got your life ahead of you. Your life, your age is more valuable at that point. They must be hemmed in and kept in the life God has hemmed and knitted them in. And the way we treat our elders, shipping them off to nursing homes, and I'm not talking about people who really find ways for their parents to be cared for and their parents don't want to necessarily move and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. But because we're too busy raising the next generation, fulfilling the dreams of our own in our prime, we don't build life with the thought that we will ham our elders in. We are looking to add on a family room, but not a place to house our elderly, but our 60-inch flat-screen TV. We refuse to guide them in the dark days of their life lest we lose our own. You know what mama said before she died shortly this before she was even sick if she were to get too old just let her get to a good nursing home because she doesn't want to burden me hey bird so mama stops being a blessing and days that are not god valued at some point in her old age really these are her thoughts about herself that's what she believes to be true about getting old we think of Social Security and Medicare only for the perspective of, will it be there when we get there? I bet it will be there if we think about providing for those now. The gospel's kind of backwards. You care for the next generation, and somehow, I don't know how God does it, maybe because it's God. Yours is going to be all right. Extended families in our country, unheard of. You know, my, my son goes to school with people from different countries. I'm watching folk walking, grandma, granddaddy, uncle, they all coming to the teacher meeting. What they doing? I have a doctor who's an Indian lady. She said, you don't know who in charge in that family. I'm like, no, it's the dad. Uh-uh. It's the one with the most money. Grandmama might be making the decisions. I'm like, really, Grandma? She can barely wheel herself in. She decided what school that kid went to. 
and grandmama is living in the house, and she got the master suite. I think about the way companies grow and get rid of older workers. I'm trying to rush here. I was looking at reading up on ageism in our workplace, and one article said the techn techn technology advances have been so fast in the economic downturn and lack of 401 to get out, the clash and distance is immense. Kids are being asked to grow up too fast and looked upon as fleeting and stupid and headed for a crash, and the older are looked upon as dead weight. The stories about kids who are adopted to become people, servants, and slaves in this country is crazy. Let me level with you for a minute. I know I'm going a little long. Let me level with you. In all of these cases, whether it's unborn children or elderly or whatever, th there are serious concerns and issues and problems. I'm not going to doubt that. I know there's the pressure of boyfriends and parents and even the lack of reliable men and, and a government to help them, who may, or reliable men, rather, who made babies who should be held accountable. And I recognize the lack of help in a world that doesn't have government systems or churches to help mothers. There's a lot of criticism, but not a lot of help. And the shame with being an unwed mother in certain circles can be deadly in and of itself. Yes, dear old mom and dad can be a real drag on the family economically and even socially. Yes! I mean, I go home and visit my dad. Oh, my goodness! My dad living with me, old man, ain't got nothing to lose, can say what he wants. Oh, my goodness. And he's looking at me, crazy old boy. What you doing, son? He's coming to this church. Um, Howard, make sure you tell people this is just a temporary location. You know that you're going to get a real church one day. You know, when your music advances, y'all can have an orchestra. Maybe you can get, maybe when the B3 grows up, maybe you can get a pipe organ. It can be hard, yeah. And yes, teenagers are, are, are sometimes stupid and disrespectful and hard to get along with. And yes, young and middle-aged are treated like kings and queens in the workplace and every marketing tool while at the same time being exploited in a rat race driven by a God-given age of ambition. And yes, your company's bottom line will suffer and a miracle will not move as quickly and not get to the top first and not... Uh, and if we keep and pay for and retire well the dinosaur workforce, we won't get paid like we want to. Yes. And yes, Charlotte is home to some of the worst childolatry I have ever seen. Kids can do and act anywhere they want. And, and our worship of their kidness drives our city to make everything kid-friendly when maybe everything shouldn't be. And it drives us to spend more on cars and houses and toys and school tuition so they can be excellent kids more than we should because we worship them. But we must ask ourselves this question on ageism. Who died and made you God? Or rather, who will have to die and suffer and be ignored and mistreated because you believe you and your age make you closer to who God is and wants? It's amazing here how the psalmist in verse 21 takes on the cause of God and hating those who take our dignity and for our discussion, our age-based dignity away. He says, I count them my enemies. When I spoke with Sonia about caring for her mom at home, with little or no resources, a single mom on a fixed or limited income who in her own right could be a potential uh, PhD candidate and civil rights artist, has much to accomplish in her life, I told her, I honor you. 
And I'm pretty sure God does too for caring for your mom to her death, especially in ways that most people won't. And her response was, it turned into an honor for me and a blessing for me in doing it. How do people get like that? How can, be will- how can we be willing to sacrifice our age and generation for the love and value and sake of another at high cost? It's going to cost us. By believing and be, by this, by believing and being blessed by the fact that God Himself has and does it for us. That's what the psalm is about. Reread it one day. This psalm is saying that the Lord cared and cares for you and celebrates your age. That, like Sonia took in her mom, He took you in and shared the burdens and blessings of your life stages and hemmed you in and knit and developed and kept you and loved you from the womb to the grave. And we must know and believe that. But even more than that, He became the Savior for all ages. This psalm here could easily be read about Jesus. You could read this, and this could be about Christ. That He too had to be hemmed and kept and cared for and accepted when rejected and assured. Jesus, God himself in the flesh, came into the womb of a woman and was knit and framed and covered, and the Lord had to be carried by a mother in Mary, a teenage mother, right, with not much money or support. And when he was a baby, someone had to wipe God's butt and God's nose, and wash God's little hands, and even possibly, this is not in the Bible, but I'm going to just say it, protect God from the danger of a runaway camel. And during his three-year middle-aged ministry, he was tempted and pushed and challenged and squeezed for relevance by the elders of the day for being a young religious punk. And he welcomed children to be blessed to the dismay of the older. And at the end of his life, which was short... Someone had to carry his cross because his frame was too feeble and broken. And someone had to relieve some of his suffering with a rag drenched with vinegar and water. And someone had to wash his dead and dirty body and make arrangements for God's burial. God suffered a world of ageism, an age-like dependence. And when he did, he gave and called for dignity for all ages and all people and became the judge and came to convince and redeem this world from blood guilt. And when we discriminate due to age, we discriminate against God himself. And we recognize his love for us in the psalm and his redemption of us. Only then can we join the psalmist and proclaim to each other to unborn, to young to middle age and old. Lord, I hate those who hate you. That's you out there. I despise those who mistreat you because of your age. And I work for justice. We, those who must be and are blessed by God's love throughout all our ages with him, must bless in America with the grace of God in Christ for the curse of its ageism.